It's fair to say that we live in a world that is utterly convinced by cause and effect. Some of you might cringe to cast your memories back to physics lessons in secondary school. Not for me, I loved it. But things like Newton's laws of motion. For every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. Or the less catchy first law of motion. Which essentially says everything stays as it is unless a force is applied to it. If I wanted to get my guitar from there over to there, I'd have to pick it up and move it. Otherwise, it stays in exactly the same place. Until uh, a force is introduced, nothing changes. I'm not here to say otherwise. We're convinced by that idea and it is true. Believe it or not, that laws of physics way of thinking, of seeing and observing the world, of asteroids banging into moons, of electrons getting close to other electrons, that can spill over into how we view other things, how we view the rest of our lives. And it causes us to ask some pretty huge questions as we experience life here in a broken world. If something good happens to us, we like to think it's because we've earned it. There's an effect, we're blessed, and so there must have been a cause, uh, a chain of events which we initiated that got us to that place. I don't know, for example, growing runner beans. You get a bumper harvest, you get a bumper crop, and it's all down to the good care that you took to plant at the right time, to plant in the right soil, to feed with the right fertiliser. All of it is down to you. You've got the crops and it's a reward for your hard work. Cause and effect. And in exactly the same way, we think when bad things happen to us, that if we experience something negative, if we suffer in some way, shape or form, we normally like to think or tend to think it's because we've done something wrong. Now, lots of people file that away nowadays under the heading of karma. Do good and good will happen to you. Do bad and bad will happen to you. The universe will, in its own impersonal way, just sort everything out. And perhaps if all you conceive of when you think of yourself and life and the cosmos is a universe behind it all, then maybe that's satisfying to you. But as soon as you introduce God, the sort of God who's involved, active in our world, the sort of God who we describe and look to at Amford Evangelical Church week after week after week, all of a sudden things can get quite difficult and quite choppy. Without abandoning our sense of cause and effect, without abandoning that framework that we've got in our mind of karma, of good things happening to good people and bad things happening to bad people, we start to view life as a maze of decisions that we've made, of things that we've done, and life as rewards or punishments for our previous actions. For most of us, when life is good, when we feel blessed, we don't normally ask the question why too much. We've got a pretty high view of ourselves, so it makes sense that God is at least rewarding us as much as he is now. Perhaps he should be rewarding us a little bit more. 
But when something bad happens, that's when we, that's when we struggle to comprehend. That's when we start to ask the really difficult question, why is this happening? Am I being punished? You see, we take the idea of karma, perhaps. We throw in a personal God and we come out with an understanding of life and the way we experience of it that is more like a dog being trained by its owner. Do something good. Sit when you're told. Get a reward. Do something bad. Soil the carpet and get punished, get scolded, get a rolled up newspaper smacked across your nose. Today we're going to eavesdrop on a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples when they asked a really similar sort of question to the question we ask today when we suffer. Are we being punished? Like why is this happening to this individual? It's not a question that they ask because they were going through something themselves, but because they see someone who has suffered, someone who is suffering, and they want to get to the bottom of it. They want to know the cause that lies behind the effect that they observe. Now, let me warn you before we even get to the story that Jesus's answer is going to be frustrating. If you hadn't noticed that already, Jesus loves to frustrate people in how he answers their questions, because it's gonna require an entire shift in the way that we think. But I genuinely believe that when we look at Jesus's answer to their question, we'll have help answering our questions. I'm gonna hand over to Sam and Mike, and they're gonna to read to us from John's Gospel. Thanks, guys. John chapter nine, verse one to five. Jesus heals a man born blind. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. You can almost hear the cogs whirring in the disciples' minds, can't you? Here's a guy who's been blind since birth, and since every effect has a cause, they're desperate to know who is it that sinned that caused this guy to be born blind? They actually offer Jesus two possibilities. Possibility number one, the parents. The parents have done something so heinous that God has inflicted their child with blindness. Maybe that's why the man was born blind. Maybe he was born blind from birth as some sort of preemptive punishment for something that he himself was going to do. They can't decide which one of those is more likely. They can't decide which one of those is true. So they turn to Jesus to fill in the blanks for them. But even if they can't decide which of them is true, they're certain of this one thing, aren't they? That blindness is as a result of someone having done something wrong. It just has to be down to someone's sin. 
if you like, on behalf of the man, they're asking the question, why me? Why me? What have I done? And what has somebody done so that I'm in this predicament? You can relate to that, I guess, like us so often, they're searching for a cause. I suggested before Sam and Mike read to us that Jesus's response was going to frustrate. And if it doesn't frustrate you, then I'm sure it certainly frustrated the disciples. Because Jesus's answer is, in short, neither. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Wouldn't this be a more illuminating encounter if Jesus did crack the door open, if he did shed a light on what had gone on? This sort of suffering, perhaps, Jesus could have said, is a direct result of X, Y or Z action. Then we'd be able to keep an eye out for those wrong behaviours, for those wrong thoughts, and we'd be completely and utterly able to avoid the disaster that's befallen him. But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't point the finger. He doesn't distinguish a definitive reason. Instead, he dismisses both of, all of, their suggestions. Jesus says there is no straight line from cause to effect to satisfy the question that you've asked. And I think that's the first thing for us to take note of this morning. That in this story, as in our own lives, as in numerous tragic circumstances that we would uncover and encounter as we read our Bibles, there's very rarely a direct and discernible cause for our suffering. It might actually surprise you to learn this morning that for specific sufferings, the scriptures are all but silent. What Jesus is exposing here is a false thinking that we have in the first place. Our false thinking that our Father in heaven treats us like dogs that need to be trained. The, the Bible introduces us to a God who is full of grace a God who is full of mercy. And those things mean that try as we might, we cannot draw the straight lines that we want to from cause to effect. We have to contend with the fact that very often he blesses us whether we deserve it or not. And very often he withholds the consequences of our actions whether we deserve it or not. God's mercy, God's grace confuses the way that we usually see the world. And so if you've come searching for a specific cause and for a specific suffering, then nine times out of ten, you're going to be disappointed. That isn't to say, of course, that the Bible has got nothing to say on suffering and suffering in general. In fact, the Bible gives a good explanation as to why suffering in general exists. There is a root cause to the existence of suffering, the Bible says, and the root cause is indeed sin. Because the world wasn't created to be filled with suffering. Humans weren't created to experience suffering. And certainly, a world and a life marred by suffering is not where it's all headed. Suffering, in the general sense, 
is very definitely a result of the fall, of humanity's first foray into rejecting God and rebelling against the Creator. The Bible is actually very clear, very clear indeed, that tears and tragedy, that decay and death, they can only exist because rebellion existed first. But at no point does the Bible suggest that we can look for and find a specific cause for each and every suffering that we experience. So what sort of answer then does Jesus offer in its place? He says, your question is wrong in one sense, but what answer does he give? He dismisses this idea of an immediate cause and he tells us to look elsewhere. Neither this man nor his parents have sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As we often search for some sort of rationale behind our sufferings, Jesus says, take your gaze off what's gone and look at what might come from. As we wonder about the importance of our pain, Jesus says, stop looking at yourself and start looking towards God. A second point, I guess, this morning is this, that suffering can only have any ultimate meaning when it's in relation to God. Jesus says that the purpose of this blindness was to put the work of God on display. And this means that for our suffering to have any ultimate meaning, God must be of supreme value to us. As with a whole host of things that we uncover in the Bible, they only really end up making sense when God becomes the one who is of supreme value. This man was born blind so that the works of God could be seen. If you go away and look at the rest of the story, John chapter 9, you'll see what happens next. Jesus heals the man. He spits in some mud, rubs it in his eyes. The man goes away to be washed somewhere and he can see. For the first time in his life, he can see. But that's by no means the end of the story. There's a big to-do. There's this questioning. There's this inquiry that goes on. How is it that you're no longer blind? Who has intervened? What's gone on? And it all culminates in this man who was born blind meeting Jesus face to face for himself and recognising for who he truly is. God amongst us. And then the man worships him. Jesus says that is why the man was born blind. Not as a consequence of misconduct that's gone before, but as an opportunity for God to be known. I hope we can see in that specific circumstance, that suffering worked out for that end, didn't it? The man is healed and as a result, he comes to faith in Jesus. But what about the vast majority of suffering which doesn't result in healing? Does the Bible have anything to say about that? The Apostle Paul wrote about some of his sufferings in a letter that he addressed to the church in Corinth. He writes about a thorn in his flesh, some physical or relational struggle that he had that caused him a lot, a lot of hardship. 
He writes about three times, intensely pleading with Jesus to take that thorn away for a miracle in his own life, for the same sort of thing to happen to him as has happened to this chap in John chapter 9. But three times there was no miracle, Paul writes. The thorn remained. His suffering persisted. Instead, Jesus replied to him like this. You will not be healed because my grace is sufficient for you. My power will be seen in your weakness. Even in his ongoing discomfort, the works of God were seen and felt and lived by the Apostle Paul. Maybe I can use an illustration quickly to um, help us to understand that. I've lit a candle and it's got this nice little flame here. You can see the flame, but because it's a bright day, because I'm in a well-lit room, this candle doesn't really shed light on anything. As night comes, if I turn the lights down in here and the room got dark, all of a sudden this candle would fill this room with light. Everything that could be seen would be seen because of this light. And what we're speaking about here in suffering and seeing and knowing the works of God is a little bit like that. That when everything is going good, when everything is going fine, there's no space sometimes. There's no opportunity to really see and to grasp the goodness and the greatness of God. But when things are dark, when night closes in, that is when the works of God can truly be seen. Jesus' answer then, that it isn't as a result of sin, but for the glory of God to be recognised, requires us to shift and change our mindsets. It requires us to go from a cause and effect mentality that's centred on us, to start seeing our lives and especially our suffering as an opportunity centred on God. If we continue to ask the question, who sinned, then we are genuinely unlikely ever to find a definitive answer. And I caution you right here and right now to beware of anyone who comes into your life who is willing to give a quick and easy answer to that sort of question. Far more pain and suffering has come from that than for people who have gone with that question unanswered. But in all the difficulties of life, Jesus says there is an opportunity to experience and savour the works of God. I want to just finish quickly by considering one other example of suffering. One in which we could ask, along with the disciples, along with ourselves in so many of life's circumstances, we could ask the question, why did this man suffer? And we could actually come up with an answer that's more along the lines that we may have been expecting when we started this morning. The suffering I want us to look at and to think about is the suffering of Jesus. The death and the suffering of God's one and only Son. I'm sure you know much of the story. Jesus was sinless. He never put a foot wrong. Never did anything wrong. Never said anything wrong. Never even thought anything wrong. And yet, he was falsely arrested. 
He was falsely accused. He was falsely tried and convicted and falsely sentenced to death. Jesus' story is one of being beaten, of being abused, of being mocked, of ultimately being nailed to a cross. And as he hung there, passers-by, they hurled insults. They chirped in. Some of them said he saved others, or at least he said that he could. If there's any truth in him now, he'll save himself. But if you know the end of Jesus' story, you'll know that he didn't. He wouldn't. Because the cause of Jesus' suffering had long been established for generations. One ancient poet put it like this. On him was laid the iniquity of us all. You see, in the Bible, nine times out of ten, we don't find the direct cause for an individual's suffering. But when it comes to Jesus, the sinless one, we actually do. We're told that the reason that Jesus suffered was because we have sinned. The sinless one died because of the sins of the many. I mentioned earlier the general cause for suffering in the world. Well, now that general cause is the specific cause for this specific suffering. And the strangest thing happened as Jesus died. The records show that for three hours, from noon until 3pm, the whole sky went black. In that darkness, the light of the world shone most bright. The work of God was most clearly seen. God was revealed to be the loving, rescuing, just, gracious, forgiving, merciful God that he is. Jesus died because you and I have sinned, so that we could know God and be known by him. The end of the story of the Bible is life without suffering. And I think that means that we're right to feel uncomfortable whenever we experience it now. We're right to wonder why, why on earth is this happening? Because it's not how God intended it to be. And it's not what Jesus has gone to prepare. Suffering as we do now is not what life was intended to be. And it isn't how life will be in the end. But our hope in Jesus is this. That on our behalf he has been punished. So that we can be restored to life as it was intended. A life that is free from the power of sin. A life that is free from the punishment of sin. A life that is free from the consequences of sin. Which is the suffering we so often experience. It's a perfectly good question, I think, to ask why in the face of suffering. But if we're looking for a solution or an answer that is in the form of we have done X or Y or Z wrong, more often than not we'll be disappointed. I want to encourage each and every one of us this morning to perhaps stop asking the question why for ourselves, but to ask the question why for Jesus. Why did one who had done no wrong suffer the greatest wrong? 
the Bible is more than willing to shed light on that question, to let us in on the open secret that Jesus died for our sakes. And it's more than happy to show us into the world as Jesus is remaking it to be, a world where there's no tears, no hunger, no suffering, no hurt, no death, but a world where we get to be with our creator, get to know him and to be known by him. Am I being punished? It's a bad question to ask. Jesus was being punished. Am I going to benefit from that? That's a good question to ask. We're going to respond now in some songs. Songs which speak to us of the power, the glory, the majesty, the goodness of God, who is above all of our suffering and ultimately has done something to bring an end to our suffering by suffering himself in Jesus. I'm going to pray and then hand back over to Rodri and Carey. Lord God, we thank you for Jesus. I pray, Lord, this morning that as we hear the answer that he gave, the frustrating answer in one sense because it sidesteps our question and it doesn't tackle it head on. Lord, I pray by your spirit you would help us to see and to understand the truth of what Jesus had to say of how all of the darkness is an opportunity to know and experience your light. Lord, I thank you for that suffering that we find in the scriptures, which we do understand the cause of. Jesus is suffering. I thank you, Lord, that he was willing to suffer in our place so that we could live and enjoy and experience life in his. Lord, help us to take our eyes off ourselves and our cause and effect and lift our gaze to you to your goodness to your kindness to your mercy to your grace and your love to us in the son jesus christ amen